This is Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kuehl. And me, Roger Bellwest. And the summer has ended here in High Wycombe, in Buckinghamshire, and the rains have descended. Oh, thank God, I couldn't stand all that bloody heat. Indeed. And we've both been up to the World Science Fiction Convention, and this month we are going to answer a month's worth of questions in about 45 minutes as we reminisce about all the games we've been through in our long and distinguished careers. And then talk about uh, GMing advice. There's a new book of it out. Is it any good? What other books are out there? And what do, what should there be out there that isn't? David Chapman came up with an interesting idea for August. Role-playing game a day. One question about one's role-playing experience is to be answered each day. Since it's now not August anymore, we're going to do RPG a minute or less. So, we start. What first role-playing game played, game mastered, purchased? First role-playing game played was White Box D&D in uh, January 1st, 1976 in Dave Langford's house in Reading. Um, the first role-playing game bought was White Box D&D plus Greyhawk, which is why I refer my, to myself as a, a gaming dinosaur second class, because I started after Greyhawk came out, not right at the beginning. <laughs> and I bought that from Dart They Were and Golden Eyed, and set up a really very basic wilderness and dungeon. I don't think I ever got beyond the first level, and my first ex uh, experiences were very, very bad. Um... You. A few years later, Moldvay Basic D&D in 1982, which was pretty much when it came out. It was just hitting mass market popularity in the UK and it was getting into non-gaming shops. And who and who was the dealer who, who got you into this dreadful addiction? Uh, someone at school had heard about it in the USA and, yeah. and uh, then bought a copy when it arrived here. And it, it was just assumed in the group that everybody would have a go at running the game at some point. Did you? Yeah. Okay. It, more recently, I've, I've met groups where some people never GM, either because they reckon they're very bad at it or because they've just never thought of it. Hmm, but I, it, certainly it was my early experience that everybody would GM at some point. And were some of them really bad at it? Yes. Okay. Uh, what we got next? Most uh, recent role-playing game purchase. Uh, that would be Unconventional Diplomacy for um, the Laundry RPG, which indicates my current campaign may go on a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, in my case, the latest issue of Pyramid, um, because while there has been GURP stuff as well, I've, I'm usually a credited playtester on that. Mm. I'm not actually buying a lot of stuff that isn't GURPS these days, because it's what I'm mostly playing and running. This theme will return in this segment. All right, you are. Uh, most old-school role-playing game owned. That would probably be Empire of the Petal Throne, which may be the first or s maybe the second role-playing game published, depending on how the chronology works out. Um, I own, own reprint rather than original nowadays, and I still have a copy of Superhero 2044 somewhere, <laughs> which is the first and worst, uh, I'm not saying it's the worst, but it's a pretty bad uh, superhero role-playing game. Class and level, isn't it? It is. Well, it did actually have the, the idea of um, different types of origins for um, superheroes. They had the Ubermensch and the, uh, the Unique, and uh, that's still there in most in most supers gaming mm. uh, all these decades later. And you? Um, I've never really been a big 
fan of the early stuff. I mean, I played it when it was what there was, but I've moved on. Mm. Um, so I've, I've got Traveller reprints. I've got Call of Cthulhu. I, I guess those are old school-ish, sort of. Well, yeah. Right, I've got Traveller reprints back back in the days when you could die in character generation <laughs> the proper way. Um, I've, I've got an original Fiend folio somewhere behind you. I probably ought to sell it. Like other people pay for those things these days. Uh, yeah, yeah, sell it before the people who are nostalgic die. Well, that would be my advice. Yeah, fair point. Uh, number six, favourite role-playing game that you never get to play? Um, that would have to be Ars Magica. Ars Magica is going to come up a lot in these answers. <laughs> because it's... Um, I've got two regular we- uh, groups, my Monday night group, my Wednesday night group, and this is one of the games that I have burned out them out on. Um, I've also burned them out on Hero Quest, which is a game I have a love-hate relationship with. Mm. Yeah, I, I'd like to play Ars Magica sometime, but it... It's not because I have an idea of what it should be like. It's because I want to find out yeah. what it should be like. So I might not contribute that much. I, I ran a failed Pendragon campaign a few years back. Um, it was originally going to be sessions in person and then um, inter- inter-adventure stuff by email, but it turned effectively into play by email, which I don't think worked terribly well. It would work better for Pendragon though, for, than for some oh, stuff. The, yeah, the inter-session stuff was fine, but it, it, it meant the actual sessions got very slow. Yeah, it would do. Um... I've been taking... I'd like to give that another shot sometime. I've been taking other games that I liked back in the day, like Torg and Cyberpunk and converting them into GURPS, so that doesn't really count. I don't, I don't think Pendragon needs conversion. No, no, I agree. Pendragon is one of the few systems that I absolutely wouldn't try to run under GURPS, because that system for character trays is just so ideal for that specific yeah. genre. I wouldn't mind playing Blue Planet sometime. I ne- never actually did. I never even read it. It, looking at the map, it's clearly designed by by a guy who is an oceanographer first. <laughs> but uh, well, maybe a virtue in there. All right, what's next? Uh, uh, most intellectual RPG owned in scare quotes. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what intellectual means, except it doesn't mean pretentious. Hmm. Uh, Le- least fighty. <sighs> hmm. I don't know. I I, I tried reading. Um, what's it called? Oh, James Wallace. Uh, the. Uh, one interactive Nabilis. Oh right. Nabilis. I tried reading Nabilis and that was so intellectual that I couldn't get my head around it. Didn't help that I had a copy that had, had one of the misprinted copies which missed out uh, several pages. Um I'm not sure it would have improved. I'd say Ask Magica again because it does delve especially if you if you want to, it does delve into medieval philosophy and their view of the universe, sometimes to less than happy result. Um, in nominee, could do with being uh, a more intellectual or being more about sin and redemption and all that sort of issue, but it tends to turn into superheroes fighting each other. Yeah, the campaigns I've heard about, people seem to talk about the fights mm. more, more than the huge moral dilemmas. When you want to stretch your stretch your interact, what do you reach down from the mm. shelves? Well, all right, let, let's stick with an actual proper definition of intellectual, because we, we, we both hate big, important, dramatic, self-important stuff. Yeah. Um, probably transhuman space, to be honest. Um, oh. there's, there's stuff in there where, where you, even as an individual person, you are making big, important philosophical-type decisions, even if they're only going to affect you. Yeah, that's true. Though, I mean, the, the transhumanist theme, I'm not sure I'm happy with transhuman space, but it does give it a damn good try to think about... What does it mean when I'm 90% machine? Yeah, it, it's a thing that I think Eclipse Phase misses slightly by saying everybody has been uploaded in some form. Yeah. Um, you've, you've still got boring old organic humans in transhuman space. It does distort the background a bit to give them a place. But 
it, it means you've got those interesting things to say. Yeah. I, 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 to be honest, I suspect that a lot of games that both of, both of us favour would look intellectual to somebody who thinks of RPGs as basically a series of dungeon bashes or a series of fights. Which is not saying put, put them down, and what, what, if, if that's what you enjoy, then all power to you. But yeah. why are you listening to us anyway? We're not talking about stuff. Here. Anyway, uh, favourite character? Uh, my very favourite character is Leela, but I'm saving her story for the best death um, <laughs> thing. My other favourite character would be Guthram. He was a ghoul who worked for an evil overlord. Um, he, basically because that was the only job a ghoul could get. I mean, he was a very nice yeah. chap, family man. He felt that the creator had put him upon upon the world to go around eating up the corpses of all these other species which were littering the place, and he felt that was his rightful place. And eventually, eventually, he got to eat the brains of an angel. Brains are nummy to ghoul, uh, ghouls mm-hmm. and gurps. And then he had a religious experience and resigned his position, going out, leaving a letter which ended, "Repent, repent for his evil <laughs> overlord." <laughs> okay, well, I've got. Two, two that I think about, they're, they're both relatively recent ones. Um, Vajra is a tie-built artificial intelligence in a transhuman space game. Mm. It thinks it did something during the Pacific War, because its memories start with turning up at an EU embassy saying, I, w- I wish to apply for political asylum. <laughs> it's really reasonably sure that it edited those itself. Um, attempts to think too hard about things result in null-pointer exceptions. Uh, it's, it's also studying Buddhism and suspects that digital intelligence is, is a proper step towards nirvana, which I believe is completely missing the point of Buddhism, but hey, if, if humans can do that, then so can AIs. Yeah, I... Uh, so be, being a machine intelligence is a reward for being virtu- for good karma. And you can move on to more more, more and different bodies in, in, uh, in an accelerated way. Yeah, that's... Uh, Arguable. I mean, yes. I'm, they probably won't call him a heretic much. I don't think Buddhists go in for that particularly. They, yeah, they, they may say, there are some very violent Buddhists. They may there. say, that's very interesting. Uh, uh, the, the other chap was the, the lawyer. Yes. He was actually a judicial champion, but he thought of himself as a lawyer. A lawyer uh, who got to hit things. Yes. It was in a Warhammer game. He had a completely unshakable belief in justice, as meted out in a proper courtroom setting with sword, mace, dagger, flail. Yeah. Flails for divorce cases, hate divorce cases. <laughs> so, what, 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 once, he'd, <laughs> once he'd won a case, he knew that his client was innocent. Proved so, proved so. The gods are on the... Uh, yes, go on. The, this led to a certain amount of cultural confusion, um, and he was last seen, in fact, working as a bouncer in a travelling brothel, broadly aware that that was the nature of the business, but clearly there was nothing untoward going on, because he'd beaten up that watchman who objected, and therefore... Therefore, the gods would not have. Yes, I yeah. quite understand. I wonder what happened to him sometimes. Mm. Fa- favourite die or dice set? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't actually fetishise my dice. and I What don't... sort of role player are you? The sort who doesn't fetishise his dice. And, um, <laughs> I do own a, D, a huge D20, a big lump of a thing. I should never throw it at anybody because it would hurt. And I got that when I was really enthusiastic into the into. Hero Quest, I wanted to be able to say, look, I am the GM and this is my die. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I, I don't, I don't, I have, I have, I have a player in one of my games who will take out all the dice he has of the type we're using in that game, percentiles in, um, in the laundry, D, sets of 3D6 in, in GURPS games, and line them up down the side of his notebook. Um, all set to a particular uh, value before he starts, 
and then pick out the ones he feels like rolling at that moment in time. I have occasionally been known to do that, but I don't take it perhaps as seriously as some people do. Um, I, I have recently started getting a specific set of dice for each campaign I run. Uh, so for Torg under GURPS, I've got the blue and red imitating the original Torg die. You're a gentleman of fashion, you are. I've got some crystal cast metal D6s, which are nice and heavy mm. and gold-coloured. Um, the, the coating does tend to come off when I sweat in, onto them, but I have uh, enthusiastic sweat, so don't, let, don't let this put anybody off buying them. I might think... Might get corrosive some, sweat, that, that, that's, that's a minor superpower, I think. I, I might pick up some of the uncoated steel ones for the Cyberpunk game. One of these days I'll pick up that extended percentile set I've seen, which is, I think, something like six dice each of a different power of ten, just to be really annoying. I've only ever seen up to a thousand myself, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it starts from a thousand and then goes down to point zero zero one. That's not the way I was thinking of going, but you, are a, you, you have more scientific training than I do. Favourite tie-in novel or game-related fiction? The ones I liked particularly were um, the background systemless book uh, releases. There's some very good, well, some very good ones for the old world, world of darkness. The Book of Nod um, for Vampire the Masquerade and the Fragile Path for Mage the Ascension. Basically, documents from the deep background of, of the of the of the setting, and I found those to be quite inspiring, honestly, and and, and they they made things pick up. I especially liked what Prof Barker did for Tecumel in, in the Book of Ebon Bindings and Deeds of the Everglorious. One of them's a, a manual of, of demonology, and the other one is a, a set of history of the legions of the Empire of the Petal Throne. Mm. His actual novels, well, if you get a chance, pick up the first two, which were actually published, professionally edited, which are uh, Man of Gold and Flame Song. The later ones, whilst they may be of interest to the enthusiast, are less good. Yeah, there aren't any that I really enthuse about. Um, I'd, I'd rather play the role-playing game of the book than the book of the role-playing game. Hmm. Read the book of the role-playing game. Um, some some of this is just the memorable characters from, from in, in a book that is, let's say, a D&D tie-in, aren't going to be the memorable characters from your own campaign. They never can be. So Yeah, and, and there's a problem with the fictionalised games of bringing in the the characters from the original stories. Miles or Corsigan would sort of hover above any barrier-based campaign. Yeah, I'm planning to talk about that a bit later. Okay. Uh, weirdest role-playing game that you own? This is a tie between Monsignor 1244, which is a game about being a heretic in medieval France and waiting for the Crusaders to come and kill you. Your sole decision is ha your sole decisions are how you interact with your the other people you're trapped with, and whether you stay faithful to your heretical faith and get burnt at the stake, try to escape, um, or convert. Um, and that's all it's about, and all it ever can be about. And I've never run it, and I don't even know quite why I own it. <laughs> and even that pales behind beside Jag's Wonderland. Uh, Jags is the name of the generic system that it's run by, but basically, you have caught a disease which is a um, form of contagious insanity. You believe that you're dropping into other planes of reality which really exist. Other people just see you go bonkers, and basically, it's a game about falling into the crack in the Mad Hatter's backside and trying to crawl out again, and. There are people who love this. 
And I hope okay. I never meet any of them socially. That's a terrible thing to say, Michael. Oh, I'm a bad person. Or in a dark alley. Yeah, well, it's... Um, yeah, that, that should get some controversy going, but uh, yeah. I, I don't have um, much in the way of uh, indie games. Uh, one, one could probably make a case for Toon, but I'm, I'm going to claim Battle Laws of the 23rd Century because it's the science fiction game with everything, as long as everything is about killing people. <laughs> you've got humans, you've got psychic healers, you've got tech dwarves, you've got war cats, you've got amorphous shapeshifters, you've got haughty, treacherous, methane-breathing, forearm, schizophrenic cephalopoids... Eight, eight primary stats, four secondary stats, life path, weapons, books and books of weapons, psi powers. It's completely unplayable. It's glorious. <laughs> yes, but you like rifts. No, I don't. I thought you did. You take that back, sir. I'm sorry. Old RPG that you still play or read. Oh, right. Um, well, I still read Empire of the Petal Throne in, in the interest of eventually deciding which of the two competing systems in my head I'm going to actually get around to try and imposing on some of my players. <laughs> uh, those being Rain and uh, and Hero Quest. Cut, I cut down Hero Quest at the moment. Um, I I still have Everway and, and still play it from time to time. And reading this 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 discussion on on the, the net made made me aware that the nineties is now the old days. Bar humbug. <laughs> well, yes, I'm, I'm running Torg under GURPS, and Torg is an early 90s game. Um, I do like to glance through random books in case they spark ideas. Mm. I, I have a soft spot for Dark Conspiracy, which which really got me into horror gaming in, the way of, in a way that Call of Cthulhu didn't. Mm. Um, partly because it taunts the player characters with the possibility of success and actually gives it to them sometimes, whereas Cthulhu, is a, to, me, to me, is a bit more downbeat. It, it's also a, an interesting generic horror game framework. You, you've got the overall story of the bad stuff that's happened to the yeah. world. But this is carefully set up so that pretty much any horror story you want to tell can be fit into it. Yeah, I, I have a soft spot for that. Most memorable character death. Okay, I have two, but one of them was was in a LARP. And I perhaps, I'll, I'll leave, leave the LARP story to, to one side. The other is Leela. Lena was a character in Jenny Southern's uh, RuneQuest 3 game. Hey, there's another old game I, st I still play. Um, and she was a promoted NPC, a replacement after my, my original character, who was a dwarf, I think, got killed in a dungeon. And Leela was the native guide, and she tied into the... She was African in appearance, primitive, um, a hunter... She left her tribe because her father wanted her to marry somebody she regarded as unsuitable and was out in the world. She was a chief's daughter, and therefore she regarded herself as being fit to marry a prince. She was opinionated, stubborn. I have a rant I wrote up for her, um, which is which is her reaction to being told that the strange things that have just happened to her were probably an allegory. And she's basically, basically her point of view was, if you meet an allegory uh, on the road, kill it. And she was, uh, she'd eventually found, a, by the grace of the GM, a, a prince who was willing to marry her, and she went off on one last adventure, and yes, I should have known better than to do that. <laughs> and she found herself down a dungeon, and they were approached by a mysterious veiled lady, and she was the one who was against allowing the mysterious veiled lady to go along with them, um, and she said, "Look, I'm terribly sorry, but you could be anything underneath that veil. You could be some sort of, some sort, sort of a monster." And at that point, the Medusa raised her veil, looked at Leela, and the others went off sadly, leaving the statue there, mm. and um, and went off to write a sad letter to her prince. But it, she died perfectly in character, 
as she had lived, and I was very proud. I think that there is a pattern here, because ha having a long run-up does seem to be quite important. My, mine was from a series of games, um, near future, sort of vaguely so punkish, but quite low-tech in that regard, uh, and a covert alien invasion of Earth by horrible insectoid aliens. Mm. Uh, These started at Games Fairs in Reading, um, gradually migrated to the players' homes. We were basically getting a session, maybe two in a year, probably played for about five years in all. This was not necessarily going to be the last session, but there was, there was certainly a feeling of climax. We, we'd located a um, lost ballistic missile submarine and turned it over to the rest of the human resistance. Um, we went... that's another story. We went on an infiltration mission and got captured by the aliens. We got loose in their base. As far as I remember, I may have this slightly wrong, we, we basically had the option of try to get out straight away, or get a message out through the alien comms gear. Mm. And we chose option B. Locked ourselves into the armoured radio room, they, they were gradually burning away at the door, and we called the resistance and said, you know those nuclear weapons? Send them here, right now. And then we waited, and, and it went white. And I'd I'd had a sound effects CD going with various battle noises and uh, switched to the last post, which was also on that CD. Mm. It, yeah, yeah. The, the the GM had originally thought about um, an extension of that campaign using the um, backups of our characters' minds that he didn't, that we didn't know had been taken. But after that, he thought, no, no, that's it. Yeah. It is sad that some GMs do not understand the value to a, a player of a good death. Favourite convention purchase? Um, that has to be Everway, which I bought the year it came out, after having sat down with Jonathan Tweet and having him explain the game to me head-to-head -head and one-to-one. -one. Um, I don't know why nobody else was at that, that session, but it just turned out that way. <laughs> and I've been using it and the ideas in it uh, ever since. It was one of the games which turned my head around about how to, how to run role-playing games and how to inspire myself and inspire the players. I must admit I don't keep a lot of track of exactly where I bought things. I'm pretty sure I bought original Shadowrun at a Gen Con in Milwaukee when it was still there. Mm. Um, so I, I had it a couple of months before the official imports reached the UK and got a fair bit of use out of it. Favourite game at a convention? I am a big rah-rah-rah for um, the indie-style uh, no-prep games, as I've said before. And something like Fiasco in Wicked Age, Microscope, A Taste for Murder, are all games you can sit down with no idea what you're going to be doing other than the general theme of the game and get together with a bunch of strangers and create something fun and inspiring and mm. and, ju and, ju and just roll with it I should do it more often, I really should I've enjoyed it when I've been in your games um, I'm going to claim one Gen Con probably not the same one um, Mike Pondsmith of Artel Sarin was running an experimental martial arts game which I don't think ever actually got published uh, in order to represent bad dubbing, you had to lip-sync your character's lines while the player to the left guessed and said out loud what it was that you actually meant to say. <laughs> the, the, this may have been an incentive to solve problems by fistfights rather than talking. <laughs> I, I wonder why it never got to market. It was great fun for four hours. Would I, would I run a campaign of it? Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, okay, number 16, the game you wish you owned. I would like to have owned, the, or at least to have read, um, the last Unicorn Dune game, but it was going. It, it had been. It had been sort of cancelled. The cancelled down to one print run by the time it was released, 
Oh, it's selling for over a hundred quid at, at the time of its initial release, and it hasn't gone down since. So mm. um, I would also like to have a copy, or no, I would also like to have read Narcissist, which was mm. the unpublished, though written as I understand it, supplement to Continuum, which explained that all the rules of time travel in the previous book were absolute tosh because it was written from the point of view of the time-travelling terrorists who were tr actually actively trying to change uh, the time stream. We should probably come back to Continuum at some point. Must we? <laughs> Must we? It was a game for... A, a, young, a young and enthusiastic GM, I will admit. Oh, good grief. And I, 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 I was going to say it was a game for anal-retentive accountants. Uh, maybe. Oh, dear. I'm, I'm not sure there is that much I'm actually looking for these days. I mean, thanks to PDFs and republication and so on, I pretty much have the games I, I want, except you know things that never got published at all. There are games I wished I owned at the time they came out, like uh, the Renegade Legion mm. RPG. Not so much now. Well, you get over it. I, at one stage, I was negotiating with a chap who had the. I was in a, a postal game called Where Lies the Power, a very Dune-esque um, postal uh, science fiction RPG. And it was run by hand back in the days of the of the eighties. And I was at one stage negotiating with the chap who had the the records of it on, as to whether I could uh, try and write a computer moderated version, which, with my minimal computer skills, I thought I could just about manage. But I never got anywhere, and I don't think it's ever reemerged. And all that lovely background stuff, which was written for it, is probably rotting in somebody's attic somewhere, which is rather sad. Ah, oh, well. The funniest game you've played. I am inordinately proud of the fact that my um, one of my professional sales was the first uh, adaptation of, uh, of GURPS to Discworld, Discworld to GURPS. It's still up as a sampler on the Steve Jackson uh, site. And it, I, that only happened because uh, they wanted me to GURPSify the original submission, which was um, in Over the Edge, which I still maintain was a, a better fit. One could argue. So and I, I ran it uh, two or three times and, it, uh, and uh, laughed my head off um, all the, all the time, times I, I, I ran it. Um, it. It was great fun. I've also had enormous fun since then uh, playing in um, Phil Masters' uh, GURPS Disco World thing. And he, he's, a very, he's a very good uh, GM for setting up the funny. It is funny. Mm. I'm well known to have no sense of humour at all. Um, keep saying that. Well, people keep telling me that. I, I would say paranoia for me. Um, mm. Possibly because it, it's putting that contrast of funny stuff happening in a profoundly grim, depressing setting that you really shouldn't think about too hard if you want to yeah, sleep well. Quite. Um, and people ask me, ask me to run paranoia. I, I don't think I'm good at it, but they ask me to run it again. So. Well, that ca in that case, you m must have a, a sense of humour in effect without actually having it consciously. Or maybe it's just sufficiently different that it works in that context. I, I've enjoyed Tune, but I, I, I could not run Tune. It needs, needs too much fast thinking. Yeah, it is. Well, it's a very slapstick. I was going to say slapdash, but, but I meant slapstick. Okay, yeah. Favourite game system? On the evidence of what I run most, GURPS. Yeah, same for me. Um, I'm, I'm well aware of flaws in it, but Basically, if I'm starting a campaign, I need a reason for it not to be run under GURPS, um, as we were saying earlier with Pendragon. Mm. 
Otherwise, it's got detail when I want the detail. It's modular enough that I can throw it away when, I, when the players and GM just want to chat yeah. and describe what happens. Yeah, there's complexity in there, but the core mechanic is relatively simple. And the nice thing about it is, if I can't remember what the exact mechanic is, I can come with that up with an improvisation quite quite easily. And it won't be wildly off-key. No. Uh, number 19, favourite published adventure. Yeah, the, 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 the discussion of this on the internet got confused with... Um, uh, with the famous event, uh, favourite adventure that you have published, um, which isn't quite the same thing. Uh, there are none in that case for me. Uh, yeah, well, I would, um, I would say um, the Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues um, was, was was such wonderful fun, wonderfully written by by John M. Ford. It's the best I've ever run. I think the one I would like most to run that I own is the Great Pendragon Adventure, if that we can count, count that. It's a huge campaign. But yeah, that, that's what I want to do as well with Pendragon. Yeah, it is It is hard, and it is hard keeping the players together for that long. Yeah. And I, I've never managed it yet, but hey, well, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually such a fan of Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues, mostly because when I ran it, I got the impression that, yeah, there are lots of jokes for the GM, and it's great fun, but the players are only going to get a tiny fraction of them because other stuff's going to happen. Hmm. And they're just not going to get to the really good jokes. Which... Yeah. Oh, well. Many people love it, so I may, I may be completely wrong. Um, for me, I've, I've not actually done that much with published adventures. Maybe the yeah, some of the classic D&D modules, the GDQ series. It's probably, hey, I it's probably they, nostalgia more than... I don't think they existed when I gave up on D&D in 79, so... Uh, probably not. Yeah. Uh, number 20, the game you will still be playing in 20 years' time. In 20 years' time, I will be 80 and will require somebody to... Uh, um, roll the dice for me and look up rules for me. Assuming I'm still vaguely compassmentist, then GURPS and RuneQuest, uh, I was playing them 20 years ago, and I still am, and them, and and the dog returns to its vomit and, and all that sort of thing. 20 years ago I was playing Rollmaster and Spacemaster. At the moment, GURPS is my um, game of choice, but who knows what might happen. Uh, 21. Favourite licensed role-playing game? Buffy. Mm -hmm. Just for the flavour and the simplicity they managed to make out of it. I'm not sure that uh, Cinematic Unisystem is that good a system, but they managed to make a workable adaptation of the, um, of, of the material there, and I had great fun running it, mostly in a campaign in which Kendra survived, for those of you who are Buffy fans. And, um, yeah, I had great fun with that. Oh, we, we've ranted before on this show about uh, role-playing games needing to develop their own story forms rather than importing them. Hmm. Um, to be honest, I, I often don't use other people's game settings, never mind non-game settings. I quite like the Vulkosigan saga, hmm. um, but oh. that, that, that does show up the problem. I mean, either I use Bujol's characters as NPCs, yeah. in which case they're going to overshadow things, or I won't be as good at it as she is, or I discard them and make up other characters, in which case I've thrown out a whole bunch of what makes the world interesting. Yeah, the thing about Barrier is that it is mostly about the, the people. I mean, and she says herself, her characters say, people before causes, people before systems. And that's what that's what the books are about. Um, you can't get enthusiastic for hereditary military feudalism, can you? Not without individuals involved in it. Yeah, quite. Um, but Bill Stoddard ran a campaign a uh, year or two back uh, which, which he basically set some 
non-trivial number of years later so that so, some of the known characters were still about in yeah. more senior positions but they weren't ma they weren't on stage all the time and I think that makes some sense yeah well uh, I think that's the way to make that work well I think the laundry RPG actually to be honest yeah it, it ends up quite often not looking a lot like the books yeah I'm running it at the moment but and, that's and, and they're living they're, no, I haven't killed enough off of them yet I may do that this week, you never know. Well, I'm working on a Call of Cthulhu adventure for next month. So. Mm. <laughs> anyway, best second-hand role-playing purchase. Um, okay, I have I have a list, but we're getting on. I think at the top I'm going to put Heirs of Merlin, which is the uh, Ars Magica supplement about uh, the English and Welsh um, tribunal Stonehenge. It's 4th uh, edition, but it's entirely rulesless. Therefore, I had a, a when I ran two, admittedly abortive, um, Ars Magica campaigns set in England, and I could just use that as, be, as straight inspiration. It's perfectly good. Um, I'd also mention Nexus Life, um, which is the supplement for um, a really obscure role-playing game by Robin Laws, um, and I have Lee Gold's Land of Adventure, which I'd got out of, and we, we probably ought to do a. Um, out of the uh, out of the cupboard on that sometimes sounds good. Yeah, I'll go for oh, the Millennium's End GM's Companion, Why? Um, an obscure book for an obscure game. Yeah, but it it has the thing that very little else offered at the time: floor plans for the sort of places PCs go to get into trouble in a modern setting. Yeah, hotels, bars, fancy houses on the beach. Actually, it, I I would think nowadays you should be able to get something like that off the off the net or as a a PDF, I would have thought. Some. It's surprisingly tricky to get the right sort of thing. I mean, you can get houses, because there are lo lots of architecture sites which say, basically, here is our standard plan of house which we will build for you on your piece of empty land. Mm. And those are great if you're going to a house. Uh, you can. There, there's at least one place I found plans for, for a place that basically sells modular police stations <laughs> to, to be set up in the middle of nowhere. And so here is a police station plan, and that's great. But th things like hotels and yeah. bars and commercial properties is a bit trickier. Yeah, and it would be it would make life easier if I could just say, here, look at this. Yeah, having the book made life much easier. The coolest-looking role-playing product or book. Yeah, I haven't got my hands on the physical copy yet, but judging by the PDF, the guide to Goliath. <laughs> Probably Nephilim for me, though. I, I, I've, at least for ones I own. Uh, I've, I've got to mention the, the first edition of Werewolf, yeah, which, which had the claw marks punched out of the cover so that it would fight to the death with any book you shelved next to it. Yeah, not smart. No, too, trying to be too trying too hard. This does mean that first editions are now really quite valuable because there aren't that many left. Yeah, uh, the most complicated role-playing game you own. This again is probably Ars Magica. It's complicated not only because of the amount of stuff there is for fifth edition, and each book has a new different kind of magic for the different area that it's exploring or the different uh, theme it's exploring. But also because I don't believe that they've, they've got or could state a unified theory of magic on the GM, on the meta level. And I don't think, I don't think the mechanics fit together well enough to grasp it intuitively. I still want to play it. I still want to play it, but, you know. Okay, well, I'll go, I'll go for one and, 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 and I'm going to be... Can I be rude about Exalted 2nd Edition? I guess. Because I couldn't even figure out how the, to generate a fornicating character in it, much less run the damn thing. 
I'm going to say Living Steel. I would say Phoenix Command, but that's not a role-playing game. It doesn't claim to be a role-playing game. It's a combat system. Living Steel is that combat system made into a role-playing game. So you, you, you've got a combat system that, that resolves in, I think, half a second by default, though you can go down to hundredths of a second if you really care about bullet flight times. How? Uh, in, in, the, in the Advanced Phoenix Command rules, you could roll a D1000 for hit location and include things like bullets glancing off a rib. Um, Twinge. Living Steel yeah. also has a component list for every tech item in the game so that you too can scavenge the ruins of the world for three medium springs and 17 extremely small screws that you need to fix your gun sight and rear power armour. <laughs> no, you might as well play with the real world. 25. Favourite role-playing game that nobody else wants to play. Yeah, well, this is... Uh, yeah, th 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 Given the existence of the internet and online gaming, this is limited by my uh, by my innate laziness and the fact that I already have two games a week that I've got to cater to. Theoretically, I could find so uh, somewhere around the world five or six people who are willing to um, help me scratch any itch that I actually have. But yeah, I I burnt out my my regular groups on Ask Magic and Hero Quest. I have this irrational conviction that I can get Hero Quest to work. But I recognise that it is an irrational conviction. It clearly works for some people, they just don't seem to be us. Well, true. Um, as, as a rules system, probably Rollmaster and Spacemaster. Even I don't really want to play it that much now, but i got an awful lot of That's fun. That's why I was confusing Rifts with Rollmaster and Spacemaster. It's easily done. No, it isn't. Uh, campaign terms. I have a whole bunch of campaigns that, that I've, I've run past the groups and nobody's really seemed terribly enthusiastic about, so they probably won't happen. Yeah. And I've got, got a thing for post-apocalyptic martial arts, um, modern martial arts slash horror, probably with cheap hours. Uh, a swashbuckling piracy game uh, on Earth, Bainstorm World. Uh, a, a sort of ethical con or caper-based game like, like The Sting or Hustle or Leverage. But poss possibly I haven't settled down on the setting of that because the, the one that seemed most interesting was Renaissance Florence. Which is where this stuff was being invented. Yeah, quite. Um, uh, based on GURPS Places of Mystery, uh, a hunt around the world for spots of arcane significance, probably set sometime between the wars, so you've got those lovely, horribly dangerous early aircraft as, as the fastest means of transport. Mm -hmm. And Nazis. You've got to have Nazis. they always got Nazis. Uh, coolest character sheet. I really don't look at character sheets as, uh, as, as works of art. They're, they're the coolest looking one I recall seeing recently was from Victoriana. And I looked at it and I thought, what is all this clockwork crap all over? <laughs> and then I, I, I tried to learn the system. I thought, oh my God, they actually need all that. And then I thought, put it firmly uh, to one side, I'm afraid. I I like the uh, the, the character genera generating software of uh, GURPS Character Assistant but not that much. I do tend to use the Phoenix character sheet for the GURPS software, which seems to get stuff laid out reasonably cleanly. Um, Kung Fu CB Mamas on Wheels versus the Motorcycle Aztec Wrestling Nuns? You have specialised tastes, sir. As the, as, yes, as the actress said to the bishop. Uh, may, maybe the old Lace and Steel sheet, which was basically clear and uncluttered and everything on it had a reason for being there. Yeah, that's 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 what I, I want. It... it uh, uh, a character sheet that is laid out where I can find things and has everything that I need on it and I can understand indicates a game system that's probably simple enough to go into my poor, tired old brain. 
27, a game you'd like to see a new or improved edition of? I would really like there to be a usable uh, Tecumel game. There isn't yet. Hmm, that's not, not so much a new edition of a game system, but a new edition of the Well, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to the new edition of Unknown Armies. It, hmm. it must be said. Um, whatever they do with it is, is, down, is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, there's nothing I'm really reaching for at this point. I mean, I would have said Rollmaster, Roll but they brought out a new edition of Rollmaster, and it, it didn't sway me back from GURPS. So. Scariest game you've played? Um, I'm mostly GM, and and frightening people when you're the GM it does not involve being frightened yourself. I think... In the abstract, dread. Um, even running dread as the GM, there was there was the sense of tension, and I'm not at all sure where the hell this is going, which uh, which helped keep my keep my guts on, on an edge. You're never quite sure what's going to frighten people. I threw in what I I thought was a fairly mundane bit of description in a zombie game um, at. Uh, at uh, Stabcon one year, and when I went back, uh, one of the players who'd been it said, "All right, I'll be in your game, but not if there are any more Mike Cure zombies." And <laughs> um, I think it was the smell that got to me. For me, it's that, that one I mentioned earlier with the alien invasion, hmm. uh, which involved the members of the party realizing some three or four game sessions after it had happened that we'd all been infected by an alien retrovirus, such as if we ever had children, they would be alien hybrids. You. That's that's disgusting, but it, I'm not sure it's horrifying. Finding out after it after you you'd had uh, uh, you'd you'd had the children, that would be horrifying. Mm. Uh, most memorable encounter. Actually, the the one I met, remembered longest and clearest was in my very first game, Dave Langford's D and D game back in 1976. He had built a corridor of ice around the first level of his dungeon, and we found ourselves on it, and a ghostly icebreaker came down it, chasing us along the way and breaking up the ice, and anybody who stayed behind had, a, had an unfortunate tendency to drown. Hmm. For me, the one recent one was uh, Aldebaran. Hmm. We, we met in an uh, infinite cabal game, infinite world setting, but we are cabalists. Yeah. Strange only occasionally megalomaniac magicians. Yes, this is Aldebaran as in the star. We we met it while traversing the astral plane. Mm. It was very friendly. And I almost stopped going twitch. Shine on. Shine on. Uh, rarest role-playing game that you own. That would probably be Superhero 2044, but there's a perfectly good reason that that's rare. Yeah, I have a pre-release copy of Murphy's World that I picked up at Gen Con, and I, I, somewhere I think I still, yes, I still have a copy of Interstellar Elite. You have never heard of Interstellar Elite. There is a reason for that. <laughs> um, I probably ought to give a mention to Lords of Creation. I have, I have played Lord of, Lords of Creation at least once, the first, um, but you have the, the completest set I've ever seen. Yeah, a friend was moving and clearing out his uh, cupboard of old game stuff that he hadn't touched for a while. It's a nice idea, but... Um, I confess I haven't actually opened it. One well, of these days. Oh, well, yeah, all right. Go on. Finally, favourite role-playing game of all time. Oh, crikey. 
on the evidence of how much I play at GURPS, on the evidence of how much it freed me from Dungeons and Dragons RuneQuest, on the evidence of how much I went, oh gosh, wow, I can do different things, then it split between Over the Edge and Everway. But, for, you know, different different answers to different contexts. Yeah, for me, it's it's changed too much over time. I, I did a lot of stuff that I enjoyed with Rollmaster and Space Master back in the day. Um, at this point, certainly GURPS. Ten years' time, who knows? Somebody may do something brilliant. You people out there, do something brilliant. Do it now! Steve Jackson Games, of whom we are fans, in his case almost an employee, have brought out How to Be a GURPS GM, and I wanted to take this opportunity to review it and to look at other books on uh, advice on how to GM and other types of uh, advice about how to GM. The one we're looking at, uh, How to Be a GURPS GM, is primarily a guide, a systems guide. Now, it's a bit peculiar that a book, uh, the two books, the books of the of the of the core uh, GURPS system, need something like this. Um, you would have thought uh, they have several hundred pages to to explain themselves. Lots of people seem to have managed without it, to be honest. Yeah, except except that they have to get the rules down, and they don't actually, and they have to get them all down, and they don't actually have to lay it out in the most comprehensible form. I I, I don't think this is a, a, an unneeded pro product. It yeah. certainly reminded me of rules that I don't use. For instance, the extra effort and, uh, rules and all the ones uh, using for fatigue, which uh, I think got put in in 4th edition and never got really adapted to my style of play. It shows you how to set things up, how to run things. I think it's a it's an interesting effort only a few games, I think, on the market would actually justify this sort of writing. D&D, up to a point, but D&D keeps changing more it, often. It does hit that spot. It is not just how to be a GM plus how to run GURPS. It does integrate that. It's saying, OK, you, you are trying to run a game. Here yeah. are things you're going to have to do, and here is how GURPS helps you do those things. Yeah, it, it actually, it, start, it starts from the point of view, here, here is GURPS, and then goes on to... Um, talk about a little more generally about about running things there was a, a publication which i have called is it, is it an idiot's guide or for dummies it's gups for, for dummies which it, it's an old thing it, it never got much uh, fanfare from steve jackson games it wasn't mm. written by any sj games staffers yeah uh, sean punch was the technical editor on it yeah and that goes off into it starts off doing the four dummies thing here a list of 10 things you want to know about gups who's a Here's a list of ten advantages you want to consider for your character. Here is this, that, and the other. And then it goes off into talking about world building in and campaign building in general. And that's what most of the book is about. Yeah, it, it's a fairly strange book, and I must admit I don't think I got a lot of use out of it. Me either. It's, it's gathering dust on the top of one, one of my shelves. The current effort is, is shorter. It's in PDF form only. Um, it may turn up as a, a, a limited release. If lots of people buy the PDF. Yeah. Uh, that's what they do. 
I think, on the whole, I'm more enthusiastic about this one because they've got managed to cram their commentary on the particular game system into a smaller space and made it more useful. It's also got... It, actually, it's one author, isn't it? Anne Crom adding his comments. Yeah, I looked at the original draft of this manuscript several years ago when it was first um, being, being mooted, and it, it's got held up in production since then. Mm. Uh, it is very much two books combined into one. There's the thing we've been talking about, and there are the Crom notes, which are basically posts from Sean Potts, the line editor, mostly uh, extracted from posts to the SJ Games forums. Yeah. But they are things like... Um, you can generally assume that hand-to-hand damage from normal people is going to be somewhere around this. So if you want your bad guys to be relatively proof against hand-to-hand damage, you should give them about this much armour. Yeah. If, if you want them to be seriously proof against hand-to-hand, you should give them about this much. And so on. It's things like, here, here are the ten different skills that you could potentially use while you're searching a room, depending on what specific sort of thing you're looking for. Yeah. To be honest, I would say, even if you already regard yourself as a pretty uh, accomplished GURPS GM, th- those notes collected into one place are quite possibly worth the price of the book on their own. It's not a hugely expensive book. Yeah, it talks It talk, talks from a point of view of having practiced the game, and it puts down formally what I only, I only had um, a skill for winging, which is um, how much of a threat is a particular NPC... Um, to a, a particular level of, of of character, how much, how much, how often can you expect a total party kill out of uh, if you put them up against this level of, of competent enemy? Yeah, particularly people coming from recent versions of D and D, which I admit I kind of bypassed. So I wasn't really expecting this when it became a problem. Hmm. I used to being able to say, right, I've got a party of these levels, and a balanced encounter for them will be this much challenge rating of monsters. Hmm. And and expect that it will be a reasonably balanced encounter, and that they, they just aren't really tools for that in GURPS. You you can't use a point value. No. A most of the monsters don't have point values. B even if you've got ones that do, points aren't just combat power. No, quite. I recently uh, ran at the Worldcon uh, last week a, a basic GURPS fantasy adventure, and for the first time in a long time, I was playing with at least one uh, one player. We'd never played the game system before, and for the first time in a long time, I was that close to a total party kill. Admitted the players were rolling direly, fumbling all over the place, and um, and I perhaps played the enemies a little too intelligently. But fun was had, and I avoid, avoided it. So it's a tricky thing to to be able to assess the level of threat that an enemy is in combat in, in GURPS. It's even harder to do in social terms, but that's true for all games. And I think it's still in there, it was certainly in the earlier drafts, uh, the, the list of skills that every adventurer should have, or at least every party should have. Hmm. You really, if you're going to meet water, you really all need to be able to swim. On the other hand, only one of you or two of you necessarily need lots of diplomacy. That sort of thing. You need somebody who can handle locks and traps, but you don't need everybody to be able to do that. But everybody should have some first aid. Yeah. So that that's the recent book, and I, I, a definite recommendation from me. But my name's in there as, as a playtester. <laughs> Mine isn't, but I but I will definitely recommend that for anybody who's trying to grapple with GURPS, or anybody who has grappled and wants to improve their game. This said, let's look at the types, other types of advice that are out there for for the GMs. I think the the classic systemless book is still Robin's Laws of Good Game Mastering. 
Yeah, and Robin has said that the gaming world has moved on, and he doesn't really stand by all, all that much of it anymore. But I still think I still think it has value. He's uh, the the player the the types of player analysis is in some ways a caricature, but yet in some ways the caricature is still still valid. There are still people who want to get involved, immersed in the details. There are still people who just want to sit back and be entertained. I, I, I can think of one player who really enjoys work, working out a detailed answer to whatever the problem is and then seeing it come off. And now he, he doesn't require conventional narrative pacing. If, if what you get is a tense planning session and then the actual operation goes smoothly, he's very happy. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, there, there is more than what that book has. If, if you think of the player types as different aspects of the same player, you, you may get closer to it. Mm. You know, Bob, Bob likes a good fight occasionally, but it's not the only thing he's there for. There are uh, there are uh, there are players around my table um, who are there purely for the the role playing experience and don't care that much about the about the ta- tactical stuff. They'd rather somebody else thought about it. But at the same time, uh, the, the the stereotype in Robin's Laws is, is somebody who's going to turn into a drama queen. And, yeah. and that's not necessarily what the role player does, even, even if they are very much into it. I've had characters who were, whose players asked me for a, for a glorious death, because they felt it was the right point in their arc for a glorious death, and mm. fair enough, I'll, I will oblige. <laughs> Robin's Laws is basically uh, dealing with your um, players' book, and one of the, one of the best of it. That sort of thing. You'll find all sorts of advice. There's also dealing with the GM's problems books. The books about how to build the world, how to get a handle on this insane enterprise you've set out of, of building a world for other people to muck around in and, and wreck. We, we did previously review uh, Never Unprepared. Yeah. A lot of those books strike me as written to answer particular problems and particular GM's problems. I I don't know that there is yet a general theory of how to do this, which is is generally stretchable. You said it yourself when you, we reviewed that. You felt it was a book that was written for somebody other than you. Yeah, I mean, if, if I were the person who'd had the problems he's talking about, I'd, I'd probably have said, this is great, it's exactly what I need. One of my great unfulfilled, and probably likely to be unfulfilled, um, projects is to do a weekend of uh, GM school. I've got it all mapped out in my head. I just don't have the uh, the, the finances or um, or location to do it. But to get a bunch of say four GM GMs together and say to them, prepare a three-hour session over uh, a weekend for yourself and the other. GMs, and you're going to do it as a convention one, so have pre-gen characters, and we'll critique it mm-hmm. at the end of, uh, at the end of each se- session, and uh, we'll do, we'll make a weekend of it, uh, Friday evening, Saturday uh, morning, afternoon and evening, and then Sunday morning, and and at the end of it, we'll play something stupid, just to get it all out of our system. I mm. I feel. There are all these groups out there, and all these people out there, and all these people who are trying to be better GMs. And we can't, we can show them. There are, are sites on the web where you can see how other people GM, but it, they they feel well, the ones I've looked at a bit contrived, a bit conscious of the camera. Yeah, I, I've 
I've mentioned before, um, yogsothoth.com, who have recordings of their own play sessions put up. They're, they're not yeah. trying to teach anybody how to GM, they're, they're just saying, these are our games which you may enjoy. Uh, I, I've certainly considered myself to have learned things from some of those. I, I think that there are some obvious things that GMs get wrong sometimes that can be avoided. Arbit yeah. The appearance yeah. of arbitrariness, for example. Yeah. Um, Though it's also an important skill to say, yes, I'm being the arbitrary, I'm being arbitrary, I'm the GM. And people complain about railroading, though, um, as uh, Robin Laws pointed out, that some, sometimes that's just a matter of the feeling of railroading. Because if, if you are solving a mystery adventure, yeah. well, you're going to be solving the mystery. Yeah, true. But And if you're going on the quest... If you accept the quest, then then you're going you're going along and waiting to be surprised at each station of the quest. But, but, you, but you know in the outline what you've got to do, where you've got to go. But particularly control in tiny details is is a thing that GMs can fall mm. into and learn to learn not to do. And that, that's fair enough. How to do it really well that that's trickier. And what, yeah. well, there there is clearly a business in telling people how to write books really well. Yeah. But one doesn't often hear of somebody saying, I was a lousy author until I went to this writer's workshop and now, now I'm a bestseller. Um, people do say afterwards, I went to this author's workshop and I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, I, I, th I think there's value there, but I don't think there's going to be a single um, solution that will work for everybody. There obviously, no, there obviously isn't. Which is why I think learning from each other and, and exposure, exposure to other styles of playing... Yep. Good and bad. I've been to conventions. I've been in other people's sessions, which I thought were very bad. I suspect, I suspect, I make a very bad player sometimes um, for other people's other people's games, especially but, when I I know I'm not going to be with them for a long time. But particularly if, as we both are, you're basically in fairly static, long-running groups. Yeah, it, it is very helpful. I, I, for me at least, to, to get an idea of how other people do it. and you know, maybe, maybe you're going to do it, maybe you're going to say, oh dear, I don't want to fall into that. Yeah. But either way, it's useful. And that, oh, That's what conventions are, are for, especially the sort of convention where you could... Um, I, don't, I don't really like the American-style convention, the Gen Con style, where you have to book up years in advance, months in advance, to, to get into a particular game. I'm yeah. far more enthused about turning up somewhere and having... Um, Ooh, there's something up on the notice board. Well, some some of that may just be that it's too it's too huge and there are too many players as opposed to GM. But yeah, they do they do seem to overstretch the table. Um, of those things. I, I must admit, one of my usual problems as a GM is I've got to come up with something for the next session. Uh, I've got these constraints previously established in the campaign. Mm. Uh, about what generally is happening. I've had, I've had a lot of I've relied a lot on this particular idea, so I don't want to use it again. What am I going to do this time? Yeah, the, the a problem of long term being with a long term group is they get to know you, the buggers, <laughs> and they get to know your style and your tricks. And I hope sometimes that it looks from the other side as if I had it all planned from the beginning. I know I don't, but I hope it in the playing of it it melds together into a believable saga, a believable stretch of history or at least a, a novel but but I can never quite tell. For the World War II campaign the, the players have already enjoined me that once it's all over we will have a session where, where I simply answer questions about when did you think of this particular thing and was that in there from the beginning <laughs> and so on and what were those guys really up to? Yeah, 
But uh, but beware, I have been in LARP sessions where the GM afterward, rather than letting us say how awesome we were, sat down and explained what the plot should have been to us. (laughs) (laughs) This is a mistake. All right, what's missing from the field of advice to, to, to GMs? I see a lot of stuff about creating a campaign, not a, not a lot about maintaining it. This, yeah. this is possibly because this is one of my own problems. I, I come up with lots of campaign ideas, for example, the ones we were talking about in the, in the other segment. But when I start running them, quite often I find, hang on a minute, this is actually a bit thin, and maybe maybe I had the three or four adventures that came to me to start with, but then what do I do after that? Yeah, I find it's best when I'm running things to look at the stuff I have put in that I wasn't intending to be deeply significant mm. and make it deeply significant by the gods. My GURPS uh, Earth 1100 campaign has just met up with the Blue Dragon of Ware. She is the mother of the Blue Dragon of Ware who turned up in my other GURPS game, which is set in the 21st century, right. some years ago. So I'm getting a bit self-referential and self-indulgent here. But she was only there to try and steal some sheep and get shot at. But she's now turned into an, an NPC and a valuable source of information. And maybe players, they go talking to people. They were intended to. <laughs> it, would, it was entirely possible that they would have killed her last night, but only if you didn't remember to bring along the black arrows of, of dragon piercing. <laughs> Take what was a side issue and make it a, a, an issue and develop it. I think that, that works well. Yeah, it's the sort of thing that I think would be very hard to put into a book, unless you just had a book of lots and lots and lots of examples. Yeah. The simulationist in me wants to be able to say, and in the meantime, whilst you are off doing all this, the NPCs over here have been doing this and have changed in this way. And if I ever do run Ask Magica, then I suspect I'm going to have to learn to do that. Yeah, um, I think it's very helpful to to be able to give the impression of a world that is moving on while the PCs aren't involved with it. You you, you go away for three months to bash a particularly remote dungeon and stuff is going to have happened when you come back. Not quite. There is that classic feeling of it was being joked about in White Dwarf in the early 80s of that the, here is a dungeon with with the dragon in the room and he's just waiting till the adventurers come past. He's not he's not um, he's not talking busy. not talking to the orcs in the next room. Oh, no, quite. You're just sitting there reading the times and doing the crossword. I think we need. I, I feel I feel certain lacks in myself in the way of the world design and the way of doing geography and and economics and sociology and all the complicated subjects well. Yeah, so, some things we can take from um, advice to writers, yeah. but most of the advice to writers is to people writing stuff in the real world. There, there, there are wonderful books, for example, about poisons, mm. all, all the poisonous substances that are out there specifically for writers so that they can, uh, they're, they're, rather than being orientated to a medical professional or whatever, yeah. they're saying this particular one is hard to detect, this other one is hard to detect after two, uh, until 2007 mm. when, the, when the standard test picks it up immediately, things like that. But what they're not going to tell you is, here is where you should put your mountain range in order to have temperate plains somewhere yeah. else. And uh, this is how you should lay out your city to make it look as if it has been lived in for a while. And other little things like that. Yeah, mimetic fiction, that's that's the term for the stuff we don't read. Uh, <laughs> mimetic fiction, um, rather than genre fiction, is, is, a, whole, is a whole different thing. I, gosh, I sometimes think they have it easy only dealing with relationships and, and easy stuff. Like that. <laughs> ah, there's a, there's a simple mathematical model for that. Yeah. But um, 
I would like there to be more solutions for that sort of thing, but it's likely to be written by people who are already aware of the details and not terribly good at communicating them, which is sad. Yes, I'm wondering whether one could, in effect, collude with fantasy and science fiction authors who are also trying to build worlds, mm. though with slightly different constraints and goals. And a book on Here is How Invented Geography Can Work, I think, would be useful to a lot of people. Oh, it would. As I said earlier, you lot out there, get on this right now. Indeed. That was Improvised Radio Theatre with Dice, with me, Michael Kewell, and me, Roger Bellwest. And if any of you are out there producing all the works that we have instructed you to go out and produce, do let us know, um, or anything else you want to tell us by. Uh, leave a comment on the website or write to podcast at tekeli.ly. And we will look forward to hearing from you. Take care.